Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilling. All right, this is our friend Barnabas. Give him a big warm welcome, big Seeds welcome. My introduction to you uh, last year was through Dr. Mueller, through Jolt, and uh, he's known you for a number of years and gone over to Nigeria where you are and ministered medical missions. And uh, so we're going to just give the service, the rest of this service over to you. Um, You can do whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do, and we got your back. All right, brother? All right. Somebody say Hallelujah. Uh, Pastor Jody, the last person who told me to be free in the service had to beg me to stop preaching. <laughs> I don't usually preach long. I've never preached longer than 10 hours at a time. <laughs> but somehow we'll close either way. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Help me tell someone by your side something good will happen to you today. <laughs> now say it like you believe it, something good will happen to you today. I don't think somebody believes that. Look at the person with a big smile. Something good will happen to you today. It's, it's awesome being here. Especially if you're coming in for the first time. I think you should meet Sixth Church, your church. Uh, there's something I find here. Um, there's a second time I'm coming here. You'll actually find a genuine atmosphere of love. I mean, right through, you find, um, I don't know, I was told, I'm sorry if you're from Minnesota, but an American told me that there's what is called a Minnesota smile. (laughs) You know, it's professional. We smile because we have to smile. But when you walk in here, you don't find a Minnesota smile. (laughs) You you find this genuine atmosphere of love and acceptance. And, And thank you so much for that. Can you help me give God a big, big, big hand clap to celebrate him? Amen. And about while I was begging, Brother John, I think that's his name, that where I came from, we are very loud. We always have to scream to be heard. So if you help me, I'll need some more volume here. I will be speaking for a few minutes this morning. But I'm very confident that we will leave this place transformed today. Over time as I preach, I realize that many people do not understand God's love. So they walk away from him. And many people grew up in the church like the church I grew up in when I was coming up. We knew God as some hard, mean personality. I think sitting in heaven with a long cane waiting for us to take the wrong step and then he comes down hard on us. And then we had a lot of other people, my colleagues, who came up from broken homes, uh, from non-resident fathers. And so when they came to church and we talk about God being a father, they never understood God. Because they never saw a father at home. And so when you talk about God being their father, they imagine God is like their father who abused them or used them. And many others focus more on their needs, their problems, the challenges, the issues they have, 
Instead of focusing on the very one who loves them. The one who cares for them. But when you come to God and you understand the God of the Bible. You will realize that this God is good. God loves you. God cares about you. God wants to heal you much more than you want to be healed. He wants to deliver you more than you want to be delivered. He wants to give you a breakthrough much more than you want to, give, to get a breakthrough. He wants to get you to the point where you will understand the character, the nature of this God that we're serving. That this God is a good God. That he will go to any lengths for you because he loves you. And I'll start out by reading a scripture from the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 1 to 3, briefly. And I don't know if we're having it up here. Or we can just read that. Okay. Uh, open your Bible and open your phones. And open your pads. If we have a holy Bible, I think we should have some holy phones now. So open your holy phones to <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12. <laughs> But briefly, you know, <laughs> it says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I want to dwell on that scripture for the next few minutes. And I said when I started that God wants to heal you. God wants to reach out to you. He's more eager. He's more willing to get your needs met, to get you saved, to get you healed, to get you delivered. But many come to him and because they don't understand that about God, they don't realize that the goodness of God is actually available to meet them at every area of their need. And for so many other people, when they don't understand God, they blame God for what is happening to them. I've met people who are afflicted by Satan, and Satan convinces them that it is God that is afflicting them. I've met some other people that some bad thing happens to them, and they get angry at God and say, why did you allow this happen to me? But in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, the Bible said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So the one oppressing people is the devil. And the one who wants to take the oppression away is God. The one putting the sicknesses and the diseases is the devil. And the one who wants to take it away is God. But when you come to God, you must understand that. You must have the right expectation. In the gospel of John, Jesus made a man and he asked the man, What do you want me to do for you? Because some people come to God and really they expect nothing. And I've been in healing services, uh, once, uh, one particular healing service. And this lady came in and she had every kind of sickness that the devil could put on her. And when she came in, the power of God was available. The power of God was present to heal. And she came out and I asked her, what do you want me to pray with you about? And she said to me, I need to pay my rents. And I was like, can I pray for you to be healed? And she said to me, Pastor, I need to pay my rent. And the money she was asking for was just maybe about $50. And I said to her, okay, 
we can give you $50. Can I pray with you to get healed? And she said, I want to pay my rent. So I got some people to give her the equivalent of $50 and she left the service with $50 and with all her sicknesses and diseases. Because she didn't come to be healed. There are times people come to God's presence, they don't even know what they want. And I've noticed in working with God, until you have an expectation, God cannot do anything for you. And so Jesus had to ask this guy in John chapter 5, do you want to get well? Do you want to get healed? What do you really want me to do for you? Somebody says, well, he knows what I'm going through. Why doesn't he just do it for me? And I think God is so just and faithful. He tried that once and the person blamed him for doing what he didn't ask him to do. If you've ever read the book of Genesis, Adam was on his own. He didn't ask for a wife. God looked at him and he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will give him a help meet for him. When Adam got into trouble later, he turned to God and said, it was the wife you gave me. I, I, I didn't ask for a wife. You gave me a wife. And I think that was why God added a scripture and said, he who findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. Since I gave you the first one and you blame me for it, you go find yourself and bring and I will approve. So we need to get to the point and realize, yeah, he knows you're sick, but he wants to hear it from you. He knows you have a problem, but he wants to hear it from you. When Bartimaeus, the blind man, came to Jesus, Jesus could see that he was blind. He could see he was born blind. But yet Jesus still asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And I think the first thing we're starting out this morning is God wants to know specifically, what do you want him to do for you? Why are you in church this morning? What do you want from him? I know some of you came to see Pastor J.D., I mean, wonderful guitarist, singer. You maybe came to listen to the song and get used to the song and say, oh, hallelujah, service was good. But God wants to know specifically, what do you want me to do for you? Help me ask your neighbor, what do you want God to do for you? Ask your neighbor, what do you want God to do for you? Oh, somebody's even afraid to ask. Look at the person in there. I ask them, what do you want God to do for you? Am I speaking to someone here this morning? So you must have the right expectation. And secondly, when I realized that after getting the people to have the right expectation, the next phase is to accept the giver of the gift. And I need to make you understand this. Many of us come to God, we want the gift, we don't want the giver of the gift. But you see, the giver of the gift is more important than the gift. The healer is more important than the healing. The one who gives you the thing is more important than what he gives you. And so when you come to him, you have to accept the healer. Some come to me and they say, I want to get healed, but I don't want Jesus. Unfortunately, the one who heals you is Jesus. It's not the preacher. Now you can't get healing from him and you say, I don't want to have nothing to do with him. I don't want to walk with him. No, he wants you to get to the point where you understand that Jesus is the healer. And I want to accept the healer because if I have the healer, all that the healer has belongs to me. Oh, I think the best way to explain it is like a young lady getting married. If you are getting married to a man who has a Mercedes Benz and you decide to say, I want the Mercedes Benz and I don't want the man. You can't get either. You can't say I'm getting married to the Mercedes Benz but I'm not getting married to the man. Oh, I love his house, so I want to get married to the building. But I don't want to get married to the owner of the house. 
You see, if you marry the owner of the Mercedes-Benz, the Mercedes-Benz automatically becomes yours. You can do what you want with it. Am I speaking to someone here? If you marry the one who owns the gift, the gift belongs to you. So if you can find the healer, then the healing belongs to you automatically. No wonder Jesus calls it the children's bread. Somebody say hallelujah. And I want to speak to somebody here today. I don't know what your expectation is, but you should have the right expectation. Some of you are going to get healed today. Some will get delivered today. Your broken hearts will be mended today. Some of you are going to be restored today. Some of you will look back and say, thank God I came to church. I have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And this takes us to the second thing I want to look at. And we read that in the book of Hebrews. The word in Hebrews there says, looking unto Jesus. Many years ago, sir, I was told in some ancient scripts where this was translated from. And the Bible wrote there, looking away to Jesus. And then it made sense to me. Because every time you come to the healer and you focus on your sickness and disease, you get depressed. Every time you look at what is not going right in your life, you get depressed. Some of us have looked at the sickness for years, maybe 10 years, 5 years. Some have looked at the mortgage and you can't sleep anymore. Some of us, especially if you start getting those letters, I don't know how it is here. But in my country, if you ever owe, don't ever pray to get a letter from a lawyer. If a lawyer ever writes you a letter in my country, if you didn't have high blood pressure, you will develop it immediately. There's a language they use that takes away the joy and the peace from your life. The more you focus on those things, the more your joy evaporates. The more you find yourself depressed. And so he writes in that scripture, he said, looking away to Jesus. He knows that you've been looking at the trouble for so many years. You've come to the healer, but your eyes are not on the healer. Your eyes are on the sickness. Your eyes are on what the doctor said. Your eyes are on the family problems you've had. Your eyes are on your marital problem. And you're depressed and you, you, you can't even walk with God anymore. You don't have joy. You don't have peace. When you come to church and people are worshiping, you're not able to worship because your eyes are on the problem, on the challenge instead of on the healer. And I've noticed that anything you focus on will increase. It will magnify until it overwhelms you. Now he asks you here to look away. Why would he ask you to do that? Because in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible spoke there about Jesus and it says, Surely, he had borne our griefs. He had carried our sorrows. And the chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him. He was wounded. I, I, I don't know how many of us have read that scripture. He was wounded for our transgressions. Now let me try to explain that to you and you will get to know what I'm talking about. And Madison, can we have, can we have that? Many, 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 many years ago, 2,000 years ago precisely, we know that Jesus came. Now this guy up there, I don't know if he's the real Jesus. <laughs> but he looks like him. <laughs> Amen. Does he look like him? Amen. <laughs> now when you look at it, here he is with the crown of thorns. 
When I was a child, the first time I saw that, I cried and cried and cried. And we really can never understand or grasp the reality of what he went through. I think the only one that tried ever was Mel Gibson in The Passion. He, he tried. He was as close as possible to what happened to him. Now the word of God said he was wounded for our own transgressions. It was not because he committed any sin. It wasn't because he did anything evil. He was a righteous man. He was a good man. But Isaiah saw him years ahead. And he said, there was no beauty in him that we will behold him. When he saw the suffering and the torture that he went through, he said, this man was broken. Who could have done such to, to this man? It was cruel. It was wicked. But then Isaiah said, it was God himself that did that to him. Now it beat our imagination. How could such a loving God, how could a loving father make his son go through all this? When you come to Africa, and I, I pray that everybody here will come with Pastor Jet for missions. Can I get an amen there? <laughs> and I'll take you to some of the places. And you see some of the African thorns that are as long as maybe 12 inches and they are poisonous. And they took some of those things and pierced them on his head. And you're wondering, where would a loving God do that? It was too graphic. But Isaiah said, when I looked at it, I saw that it was because of our affliction. And it says he, the chastisement that will bring us peace was laid upon him. He was wounded for our transgression. He took your sickness. He took your disease. And the Bible said, look away to Jesus. You've been looking at the challenge, at the trouble for many years. But now he wants you to understand 2,000 years ago when he hung on that cross. He didn't hang on the cross because he wanted to be there. He hung there because he wanted to take your sickness, your disease, your affliction, your suffering. Now you've been looking at it on your body. But now he says, look away because it's on Jesus. There on Jesus lays cancer. There is tuberculosis. There is heart disease. There you find your broken marriage. Dear, you find your wayward child. The same death that took your sins is the same death that took your disease, your infirmity. The same death that saved you is the same death that took away all your afflictions. Now he says, look away to Jesus. If you can see him take away your sickness, your disease, your infirmities, they will never be on your body anymore. About two years ago, those of you who are friends with us on Facebook, it, it, we, we posted that on Facebook. We were in India preaching, having a healing service. And this Indian Hindu woman was brought in. She had been in an accident and the spine had broken. And they couldn't fix it. So the doctors told her, you will be paralyzed for life. But some friends and the pastor we went there with picked her up and just put her at the back of the hall where we were speaking. And I was talking about the one who took away their sickness, the one who took away their diseases, the one who took away their infirmity. And the Hindu lady was lying at the very back and she was able to see Jesus on the cross taking away that pain, fixing that spine. And nobody laid hands on her. The spine popped back into place. She jumped up and she was dancing all over the place and we plastered it all over social media. Woo! Nobody needs to lay hands on you if you can see it on Jesus. My prayer today is that God will open your eyes to see that you don't need to struggle anymore. You don't need to carry those sicknesses and diseases anymore. 
You don't need to go through that pain anymore. His death on the cross was for you. He paid the price. He paid the price. He paid for a debt you could not pay. He paid the debt you owed. And he took that sickness and infirmity. That's why he said you should look away to Jesus. When Jesus was speaking, he quoted something from the life of Moses, the story of Moses. Because at a point, the Israelites had sinned against God and snakes and serpents were biting them. And Moses was commanded to make a snake, a brazen snake. And he said, as many as look up to him shall live. Jesus said, so shall it be when the Son of Man is lifted up. As many as look up to him will live. If you can look up away from your trouble, away from the sickness, away from the disease, and see that he took it on his body on the cross, I guarantee you the sickness and the trouble on your life will go away. Can I get a big amen this morning? How do I do that? How do I get to see him? I think that's the greatest challenge. Because we're in a world that is so busy. So many things are fighting for our attention. We can really have time for anything. But for a long time, I think, the first thing I need to do to see him is to have a prayer life that becomes a relationship. I know many times we come to church and God has become, and church has become like a big supermarket, a holy Walmart. So, you know, we come with a shop, with shopping list. When it's prayer time, we arrange a shopping list to God. Lord, I need a new car. I need to pay for a new home. I need the mortgage settled. I need the bills cleared. Do this for me and I will serve you. If you don't do it, I won't come to church anymore. And some met a lady who was praying and she gave God conditions and said, if you don't do this after seven days, I will backslide. And then we come with that mindset to him. And prayer is no longer what it was meant to be. You see, I, I, I have three kids, two boys and a girl. Very recently, my two sons came up to me and their mom was following behind. She happens to be my wife. <laughs> now my first son talks. My second son, Joshua, does not talk. He's the quiet one in the home. So if Joshua ever comes to me, he wants to talk, and something is seriously not right. So every time he comes to me, I say, Daddy, I want to see you. I sit well because I know there's something coming out. So Joshua comes. He started talking. Dad, here does that grumpy voice. We notice in this home, it's only Natasha that does what she wants to do. And then my first son says, yes. Their sister Natasha, 15 year old, said he's the only one that gets whatever she wants. And I was listening. And I looked at my wife, who should be my chief defense attorney. <laughs> and the one who should defend me said, yes, they are right. <laughs> only Natasha has her way. She does whatever she wants. And you never say anything to her. But if any of us should do what Natasha is doing, you bring out the Bible and start preaching to us. <laughs> and I was listening and everywhere was quiet. They were waiting for that moment that daddy will realize his sins and look at them and say, I repent. I won't do it again. But after a few seconds, I said to them, you know what? You are right. And my second son went like, you mean we're right? 
that you prefer our sister to us? And I said, it's not because I prefer her, but the relationship I have with her is different from the relationship I have with you. Now, that's shocking to some of you. I began to speak to them. I said, you relate with me as a provider, and sometimes I wonder if there's any other relationship we have apart from the relationship of a father who must provide. I said to them, and my wife said she was going to the kitchen. I said, no, you're not going to no kitchen. We are going to settle this here, so you stay back. Yeah. <laughs> I, said, I said to my first son, and, 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 and it's on cue. I said, when I travel, for instance, it might take five days, and then one day he will realize he's the first son. He needs to talk to daddy, then he sends me a mail. My second son will always send me a mail. I'm expecting his mail in the next 48 hours, and I can tell you what will be in the mail. That, how was your trip? I know you arrived well. And I know you want to buy me a gift. <laughs> when you are buying the gift, buy me a computer. He will always write that in his mail every time I travel. And it's not bad enough to buy a computer. He tells me the specifications. <laughs> Last time he wrote, he said, when you are buying the computer, I will prefer a Mac. But if you can't get a mark, he listed it down. Make sure the one you are buying for me, the memory is two terabytes. And make sure the hard drive, he will list all kinds of specifications that in all my years of using a computer, I have never seen. And he doesn't wait for a response and he concludes, I know you will get it, thank you. So each time I meet my boys, I begin to wonder, Am I really a father or just a provider? Then I said to them, but you don't understand something about your sister. Every time I'm traveling, if I don't get a hug from anybody, my daughter will give me a hug. She walks with me to the car while everybody wears bye-bye daddy. She comes to the car, she gives me a long hug and says, I love you. I said to them, and every time I'm traveling, the first text message I will get from Nigeria will be from my daughter. While I'm flying, there's no network. I know when I arrive and the network comes on the phone and it comes on, I will get an email from my daughter. She's asking, have you arrived? What city are you in right now? And I said to them, I realized some time ago, each time I'm traveling, she loses money and she buys what we call airtime in my country. She sends and she said, you are my prophet, so I need you to have airtime to use your phone and talk. Then unconsciously, I realized I was drawn to my daughter because she was not seeing me as a provider. There was a relationship. Are you here with me? And I began to realize that's what happens between us and God. When we turn God to just a provider, we have the relationship of a provider. But when we win his heart, then the healer comes to dwell with us. The healer comes to live with us. My prayer again today is that God will not just be a provider, but there will be prayer that becomes a relationship. We need to get rid of the outer court kind of prayer. We are the only reason we are praying is because we have a problem, because we have a need. I don't know how many of you, if you're married, do you only talk to your husband when you need money to go shopping? It's like I'm talking to someone here. Let me tell somebody by your side, you are the one he's talking to. Tell someone around you, you are the one he is talking to. 
Be bold enough to tell that person you are the one he's talking to. You don't talk. You don't talk just because you have a need. You talk because there must be a relationship. It's called fellowship. Even if you don't feel like talking, you talk because you know the health of your marriage depends on you talking. It's the same thing with our walk with God. When you come to the healer, when you accept the healer, to get to the point where you begin to see him, your prayer life must move from that of a shopper to that of somebody who has a relationship. You must get to the point where you begin to hear the heart of God. I tell you the truth, that's where you get to. And the Bible said, while they are yet talking, I will answer. Before they ask, I grant them what they want. And so I answered them. I said, that's a problem. When I travel and I get to a shed, unconsciously I find that I get my daughter five. Yeah. Then unconsciously I find that the things she doesn't ask for, I just move around her room and I find something is missing. And I provide it. And then they ask me for the same thing and I put it on the to-do list. And sometimes I forget to do the to-do list when I get busy on the missions field. But I never forget my daughter's list because there's a relationship. Hallelujah. That's where we must get to in our walk with God. You see, when you get there, when you get to that point, when you begin to relate with him at that level, you will need to pray for healing. You will need to ask for anything. The longer you spend in his presence, the more the healer becomes visible to you. The longer you tarry in his presence, the more you become like him. I've said the same thing to even people in the healing ministry. I do not pray and fast because I have a healing service. I just spend time in his presence. When I come out of his presence, the effect is felt everywhere. When you tarry in his presence and you walk out to the office, people are going to know something has happened to you. They will know you've been somewhere. At that point, the presence of Jesus overwhelms your entire body, your entire being. If sickness tries to dwell in there, the sickness lives. You don't even realize how you got healed or when you got healed because you cannot be in the presence of Jesus and still carry any affliction from the devil. In his presence, all afflictions melt. They vanish. You walk on yourself. You might say, I don't have time. But if it's that important, you create time. You make time. I'll try to close because I'm sure before the movie, next movie comes up <laughs> while we're in church. When I began to walk, a pastor preaching, it got to a point I began to get popular. And the invitations began, you know, to flow in from everywhere. And then I forgot this. I got carried away. I felt I was some kind of superstar. And then when they invite me, I tell them how I want them to introduce me. In, in Africa, that's very important. So you hear, um, the place I came from, we love titles. You know, nobody calls me Barnabas in my country. It's not our culture. In fact, if you call me Barnabas, some people will get offended and almost beat you up for calling me Barnabas. And I tell them that's my name, but 
where I came from, we loved us there too. See, if Pastor J.D. was in my country, would have made him supreme apostle, founding bishop, and <laughs> archbishop. And so, I got busy because things were happening. The invitations were coming in. One day, I was invited to preach. And when I got there, they were introducing me and I sat back on that big, you know, it was much more of a couch than a seat in church. I was just rubbing, waiting for them to invite the anointed man of God <laughs> with fire in his bones, the miracle worker, the healing evangelist. And there we are reading out the titles and I felt cool. And you know, it was like turning to people and saying, man, that's me they're talking about. <laughs> that's me. And then I came up to preach. And when I opened my mouth to talk, it was so empty. The sound was like an echo hitting back at me. Then I realized the relationship had been affected because of broken fellowship. People outside still saw me as the preacher. They didn't know what was happening. It was then I realized, if you don't get to this point I'm talking about, your work with God becomes, if you've ever been to a home where you have a fan, fan, <laughs> uh, sometimes my accent is strange, so I need to do sign language. You know, if you put off a fan, it's not going to stop immediately. And someone just walking into the room is going to still see the fan turning. They won't know it has been disconnected from power. But just give it some time. That fan will eventually stop. So at that point, I didn't know it had been switched off. But because the fan was still turning, I felt I was okay. That day, the people were gathered. And at that day, I realized without him, I'm nothing. I realized until I stay connected, until my relationship becomes that of a son hungry for his father, everything stopped. I couldn't speak. I couldn't do anything. And I began to cry. I think God had mercy on me because as I was crying, the people I was about to preach to thought I was in the spirit. They thought it was the Holy Spirit moving, making me cry. So they also started crying. So I cried harder. I was crying in repentance. I don't know why they were crying. But I think God had mercy on me. So everybody was crying. And it turned into a crying service. And I begged him. I begged him. It took me over three months. To recover myself. Then I realized. My eyes must stay away. On Jesus. But then my prayer life must become a relationship. That's where the Christian life. Finds its excitement. That's where we get our source of power. That's where we get our source of strength. That's where real healing lies. It's a hungry child. Basking in the presence of the father. That, that's one of the highest levels of maturity. In Acts 13, we find these apostles and prophets. They didn't come to God asking him for anything. The Bible said they ministered to the Lord and fasted. 
Before then, I was told to only fast when I have a big problem. But then I realized these mature people were fasting not because of a need. They were fasting because they wanted to know him. They wanted to minister to him. Prayer that becomes a relationship. As I conclude, the second thing you must walk in is worship that takes you to the presence permanently of the Father. You see, when you begin to worship, Jesus becomes so real to you. And when Jesus becomes more real than the problems you have, the problems will vanish. That's why you look away to him. When you see him, and he becomes more real than the sickness, more real than the pain. The pain will go away. When he becomes more real than the issues you're struggling with, the issues will go away. And as I get ready to pray for the sick, we're going to take the next 30 seconds here about, we're just going to worship God. And you will just allow the Holy Spirit to help you. I bet you it's in the place of worship, he will help you to see Jesus. It's not by power, it's not by might, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. As we begin to worship him, don't look for the sickness on your body, don't look for the pain on your body. I can tell you how many times I have been in situations that probably I should not be standing. But when I see him and he becomes more real than the pain I feel, the pain vanishes. And it doesn't matter what it is. Some of us here, you might not have a physical ailment. But let, let me say this, this last thing. Where's my brother that's here? Brother Jeff. I like his size, you know. And sometimes I wish I should have a little of that. But the more I eat, the longer I become. Instead of... <laughs> When you get to the point where he becomes more real than what you're going through. And I was saying this before we worship God. When I was in school, high school, one of the things we read, studied was physics. I got to the university doing some science courses. There's something called electricity. I'm sure everybody knows electricity. The reason this microphone is working is because of electricity. The same electricity that powers this microphone is what is powering the keyboard. That's the same thing powering the lights. It's the same thing that gets the speakers working. Everything getting them work is called electricity. It's only one thing, but it works in different situations. I realize that's how the Holy Spirit is. He is one Holy Spirit. But the same spirit that can heal your body can heal your bank account. He can heal your marriage. He can heal your wayward child. It's one source of power, but he works in every situation. So you might be here this morning and say, well, I don't have a physical ailment in my body. But if you have a broken heart, the same spirit that can heal cancer, that can heal tuberculosis, can heal your broken heart. The same Holy Spirit can deliver you from addiction. The same Holy Spirit can cause your wayward child to come back home. The same Holy Spirit can heal your marriage. The first question I ask is, what is your expectation today? Secondly, I said, look away to Jesus. 
Don't look for it anymore. Let's close our eyes, please, everybody. If you can just talk with him, if you want to stand up, just do that. Just worship him. But I just want you to get to the point where you will see that thing on Jesus as he hung on the cross and he takes it away. Just lift up your voice and talk with him and close your eyes. Just see that pain being laid on him as he hung on that cross. The burdens you've carried all these years. He is our burden bearer. Can we just do that song if we can? All oh, the glory of your presence, if we know it. We your temple. We give you glory. Sing it with us. stand here in the name of Jesus. I rebuke the spirit of infirmity. I rebuke every sickness. I rebuke every disease. I speak healing to every life. I speak healing to everybody. I speak healing to every broken heart. And I command in the name of Jesus that every broken heart will be put back together again. I decree restoration upon everyone who has suffered losses. I command sickness and disease to live now. From your head to your feet. In the name of Jesus Christ, I decree that you be healed. I command every pain to live now. Let the symptoms of the infirmity live now. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody lift up your hands. If you can pray in the spirit, just join us. Just lift up your voice and pray in the spirit. Let's just have some volume on the music, sir. Just worship him in the spirit, somebody, if you can. Come on, let's just worship him in the spirit. Worship him in the spirit. Everybody, you can sing a song in the spirit. Just worship him in the spirit in this house. If you can stand on your feet, that's okay. Just worship him in the spirit. Come on, lift up your voice, everybody. Let's sing in the spirit. Worship him in the spirit. Worship him in the spirit. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. 
Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.